You're listening to Switched On Australia, the podcast that tracks the opportunities and challenges of electrifying everything, everywhere. Switched On is brought to you by the publishers of Renew Economy, Australia's best informed, most read website focusing on the green energy transition and is supported by Boundless Earth, using philanthropy, investment and direct advocacy to help Australia become a global force in a decarbonised world. Hello and welcome to the Switched On Australia podcast. I'm Anne Delaney. If you've been listening to some of our recent podcasts, you'll know that electrifying your whole home is not simple or cheap. And if you've already tried to go all electric, especially in a regional area, it's highly likely you've found the process frustrating. You've got to choose the right appliances, find an electrician to connect things, a gas plumber to disconnect the gas, research the government subsidies and incentives, find a reputable solar installer and the right solar array, decide whether to get a battery or not, install an electric vehicle charger, and then sometimes you've got to rewire your home to cater for all the new electric appliances. The list goes on. On the front line of all these energy efficiency upgrades are the tradespeople who are critical influencers of what appliances consumers end up buying. But a major issue Australia faces is not having the trained workforce to install all the electric appliances we're going to need. One solution being discussed to help households are one-stop shops. These would be places that provide expert advice on when and how to electrify, state subsidies and incentives that are available, and who would project manage the whole electrification process from go to woe. One company that has already set up as a one-stop electrification shop is Mac Trade Services. Initially based just in South Australia, they started 10 years ago and have now expanded into New South Wales, Victoria and Queensland. The CEO and founder of Mac Trade Services is Merrily Hunter and she's my guest on Switched On today. We retrofit roughly 5,000 sites every year, mostly through South Australia, with air conditioning, hot water, solar batteries, EV chargers, basically everything under the electrification banner. So you're, you're basically a one-stop shop for full electrification. That's right. That's right. That's, uh, that's how we pitch ourselves, or the David Jones of trades. The <laughs> <laughs> place that you go to get everything you need. Yeah, right. And, and why did you establish this business? Uh, it was about nearly 10 years ago. Yeah, it's actually happened... Uh, it's happened fairly organically. So the, the business originally started Mac... Mac Group was originally started as a, a training, consulting and auditing business. Um, and we were training a lot of trades in the energy efficiency sector, um, helping them understand what the requirements were under uh, the various subsidy schemes. And then we ran audit teams as well to go and inspect that work. Uh, we were working with energy retailers around Australia uh, and government. Uh, and one of our big clients in South Australia um, over the years asked if we would like to take on their business. And they were already quite a big plumbing business. They were doing um, a lot of hot water, heat pumps, solar hot water as well. And um, they were doing lighting upgrades, LED lighting upgrades. It was a good business. We'd already trained the tradies and been involved with them for some time. So we acquired their business in 2020 and rebranded as Mac Trade Services and realised that our existing trades had so much more 
skills available to us. We didn't actually have to to go and um, tap more companies on the shoulder because a lot of the trades that we're already working with had electricians, gas fitters and um, refrigerated mechanics on staff. So we were able to then introduce other activities like air conditioning um, with the existing partnerships we had. Uh, and again, that branched into batteries and EV chargers. So it slowly happened based on customer demand and based on the, the partnerships we had um, asking us to build a, a, effectively a one-stop shop. This process of, of electrification, though, it's not just a case of plugging in those appliances, is it? New electric appliances. It's complicated when you're trying to electrify your entire house. Talk me through some of those complexities of, of what householders have to do. So every house is different. That's... Um... That's common knowledge, uh, and everyone had the way they use energy is very different. You'll find some people are very particular about using gas for their cooking and uh, hold on to it almost like a religion. But it's um, it, as again, there are some more straightforward technologies. So when you're changing over your light fittings, for example, you're pulling out halogens and you're putting in LEDs, and it is almost effectively a plug and play. You can literally. Uh, get in there and get it done with an electrician. You don't have a fuel switch there. When you're looking at, at hot water, this is this is uh, probably the biggest hurdle that we will have in Australia. Um, Alison Reeves mentioned at the conference we were at a couple of weeks ago that 89% of gas hot water systems are replaced with gas. Uh, now, if you have a, a rental property or your own house and your hot water system busts, you're relying on your trades to recommend what's the best hot water system for your house. Do you have the clearances? Do you have the, the fuel source available for that? And doing a like-for-like like changeover is the most cost-effective and fastest to do, which is why people are replacing gas appliances with gas appliances. Because when you um, when you don't have a hot shower, you, you want to make a decision pretty quickly, don't you? <laughs> absolutely. And look, while most plumbers will have emergency tanks on hand that they can pop into somebody's house and wait for uh, either a gas connection to take place or stock to come in of the preferred technology, you normally only have about two or three of those available. So if you've got five customers there that all want a fuel switch at the same time, uh, you might not have the facilities available to do that. So there are some trickier ones. Fuel switching is tricky. Uh, one of the biggest battles that this sector will face is the fact that there is ongoing subsidies available to do a gas connection, do a new gas connection, even though it's quite clear the writing is on the wall and this will be a, a, a stranded asset in the future. Uh, and the costs for people who remain on gas will be exorbitant because the supply fees can't be distributed amongst as many people anymore. Um, while there are subsidies still pushing that technology and our um, plumbers are uh, are I also pushing, yeah, 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 mistrustful of, of the quality of heat pumps, which is not misplaced. There's there's a lot of shitty stock on the market at the moment that's being pushed to customers, and heat pumps haven't been the best technology in the past. It's uh, it's come a long way. Um, there's a big uphill journey, and it's not necessarily the complexity of doing the job that's causing the problem. Um, it, it's got a lot more to do with consumer behaviour and industry 
um, than it has anything else. But sorry, back to the question was some some fuel switching uh, and electrification activities are quite straightforward, uh, particularly in putting in split system air conditioners as opposed to using gas-based heaters, um, decommissioning a ducted unit and putting in um, and a high efficiency electric, um, either reverse cycle split systems or um, ducted air conditioning is a quite straightforward process. Um, it's when you get down to induction cooktops and moving away from gas cooking and uh, also getting off gas for your hot water. They are the, the trickier ones and it's got more to do with consumer sentiment than it does the actual technical parts of the activity. So for, for your clients who have been electrifying, what are their mm. main motives in, in uh, wanting to electrify? Uh, originally, we thought it would be about their people wanting to make a difference in their environmental impact, mm. but it's actually to do with saving money. Nine times out of ten, people want to save money, and they've read enough to know um, that switching to a more efficient unit or technology is going to do that. And with the ever-increasing costs of energy, um, it's only become more prevalent that that is the leading cause of people electrifying their homes, uh, particularly in South Australia, because uh, nearly 25% of households here in South Australia have solar energy. They want to be using up that energy. Tariffs continue to drop off or feed-in tariffs continue to drop off and it makes more sense for people to use what they're generating. Um, and if you've got a gas hot water system as opposed to an electric one, you're, you're not getting any benefit from your solar system there. One of the main issues, though, with the electrification process is the cost of the appliances. How important do the clients find the government subsidies? Would they do it without the government subsidies? People are doing it without the government subsidies, surprisingly. Um, I just think that uh, uh, the conversation of retiring an appliance early is only had because of subsidies. Uh, or unless you, you have that available cash and you're, you're really keen on uh, making an impact today. So the, the subsidies are different in every state. Um, South Australia's got quite big subsidies for their HVAC being AC or air conditioning. Uh, and Victoria have just introduced similar subsidies as well. Heat pumps have had their time in the sun at the moment, and that's because of very high subsidies throughout New South Wales, Victoria and South Australia. Um, when you have a hot water system in front of you that's going to cost you less than $200 to supply and install that, it's very hard to say no. Mm. Uh, and whether that's that product's going to last a test of time or not is... Uh, the biggest issue that the industry is facing at the moment, how can you ensure that the quality standards of products there will, will further the confidence that people and trades need to have in this market as opposed to diminish it? Um, yeah, the, the heat pumps at the moment, the subsidies are what's causing mass take up. And there's a lot of arguments out there as to whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Once you have that technology in your house, does that mean that you will continue to replace it over time because you've finally gotten off gas and therefore the subsidies pushed you to make that decision in the first place? Um, or should you be hanging out and, and putting in a good quality 
heat pump and solar or a solar hot water system um, outside of subsidies that will last the test of time. Uh, that's that's the quality argument there. So, Marilee, you're, you're operating in different states currently. How, how do they all differ in terms of, of what they're offering? Uh, that's a really good question uh, because here in South Australia, the renewable energy penetration rates are so much higher than in other states. We're having weekends where it's it's 100% renewable energy. Uh, and because of that, because the renewable energy penetration rates are so high, um, there are solar sponge tariffs that have now been introduced trying to encourage people to use energy during the middle of the day. So that's 10 a.m. Mm. to 3 p.m. Now, that means that for us as a business, not every case where we'll be recommending customers actually get PV put on their roof. Now we're saying, actually, you might be better off just putting a battery into your home, plugging that in and charging it during the middle of the day and discharging it at night. Because yes. the the price of power versus the feed-in tariffs that are available, that's a far more economical solution. Now, the other states through Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland, um, they're on that journey. They're, they've got a lot of large-scale renewable energy projects um, on the way, uh, but they're still sitting around that 30% mark in their pen rates. So they, but they will get there. So right now, PV is an appropriate, still an appropriate solution for uh, Vic, New South Wales, Queensland. Um, and but, but come five years time, that could very well follow the same trajectory as as South Australia, where the tariff switches, solar sponge tariffs come in, and suddenly PV is no longer as economical as it used to be, and it's time for a battery just to plug into the house. So I wonder whether the the PV era may be um, winding down and batteries are the next technology to boom. Um, storage will be uh, our yeah. way of flexibility in the future. Um, heat pumps and air conditioners and LEDs, these are about saving energy at, at key times um, and ensuring that you've got smart appliances going in so that you can work flexibly and dynamically with the grid. Um, so they're, they're quite uh, universal across all states, but it will be the solar and battery equation that'll be the interesting one and, and varies state by state depending on the, um, the mix, the mm. renewables mix. Yeah, that is really interesting. You know, a lot of people are talking about how we now get PV onto the harder to reach mm. sections of the community. The apartment blocks with strata yes. title, for instance, and for the renters, etc. What you're suggesting is that it, it, it may be more sensible just to skip the PV and go straight to batteries. In some states, exactly. My team actually said, we were asked about that a lot. Why wouldn't we recommend solar PV to someone? Yeah. And uh, we said, well, one, 25% of homes in South Australia already have it. Uh, but two, there will be states that hit that critical tipping point where there's so much renewable energy pumping onto the grid that it's cheaper. The return on investment is better putting a battery in, providing there's appropriate subsidies in place for it. Uh, and plugging it in during the time of that solar sponge period where you can have next to nothing energy, charge it all up and discharge it at night. It does make it even more difficult, though, for the energy user to, to know, should we be waiting before we reach that tipping point or should we just whack the solar on? 
Oh, look, it, and again, if you're in Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland, you should be putting PV on. <laughs> you should yeah. have that security over your energy costs right now. And there's no problem continuing to have a PV system with a battery and storing that excess energy. That That's not a, um, that's not a problem. It's for those people who haven't yet taken that step and who are residing in states that have hit that critical tipping point of renewables. Um, here in South Australia, I would be worried if I had a solar PV business that was only selling solar PV, uh, because it, it feels like unless you're pivoting to batteries, to um, EV charges as well, uh, which is a complementary technology to the battery storage, you're, you're gonna face a Kodak moment very soon. Mm. where PV is still appropriate for commercial, but from a residential perspective, it's so cheap and so prevalent and there's so much renewable energy pumping onto the grid during the day that batteries are getting that way. The mm. affordability of batteries still has some way to go, um, but with more and more subsidies pushed towards battery technologies, um, as that becomes more affordable, the return on investment is is going to surpass PV. You're listening to Switched On Australia and my guest today is Merrilee Hunter, the CEO of Mac Trade Services. This is a company that provides a one-stop shop for households and businesses wanting to electrify efficiently. People who go all electric obviously need to choose the right appliances. Mac Trade Services test all their products they install and ensure the trades they work with are fully trained and knowledgeable about those specific products. From a product perspective, we take a very, very straight cut rule of thumb, which is if we wouldn't put it in our own home, we're not going to put it in yours. Um, and where the way we go about choosing a new product to go to market is we test it. Um, we had a, a hot water system a couple of years ago that was being brought into Australia. And for those of you who don't know, South Australia has pretty shitty water quality. It's called hard <laughs> water and uh, will be the death of many a hot water system over here. Yeah, right. Um, we, we plugged this one in at one of our plumber's houses and monitored it over a period of eight to ten months, um, checking how the lining's working and, and the quality of the water coming off the back of that. Uh, and then fed that information back to the manufacturer saying, if you change this component, if you change that component, um, we'll consider buying this, but it needs to be fit for purpose. It needs to be appropriate for South Australia water. Now, they were fantastic at that. They, they took on board our feedback. They changed elements of the system, but it also doubled the cost of the system. So where there is a quality component, there's also a cost component too. Um, uh, but at least then we knew that if we were going to bring this product to market, we'd be comfortable having it in our houses because it was now designed in a way that was appropriate for South Australia. So what can governments and peak bodies do to ensure trades offer energy efficient product recommendations to their customers? The best way to do that is one, make subsidies available to nearly all trades across the market so that they can recommend a cost effective option for customers. Uh, and also ensure that the understanding of the technology uh, is made is made available to everyone rather than just the ones that are, have big marketing budgets and are out there giving kickbacks. Um, Master Plumbers has a big role to play in that, to be able to communicate to a whole field of people who have that, um, that license and also other associations like um, um, their master electricians. Um, 
and it shouldn't be down to down to the technology provider. So a lot of the manufacturers will be, of course, spruiking their own product, but when you put that in comparison to others out on the market, it might not be the best one there. Um, and I, I think there is a broader conversation here to ensure that our trades network are also aware of what's coming down the pipeline too. If they know that by putting in a gas appliance, a customer um, will be forced to pay far higher supply charges come five years time, mm. um, they may not recommend that product to them. Um, they are the trusted advisor ultimately and, and the critical influencer of appliance purchase decisions and replacement purchases. Everybody trusts their, their local trades or in my experience, that's been the case. Um, they, they know best. They're the experts in this area. Uh, so you would want them to be making the decision that's going to have the longevity, not just around the product, but what's going to be influenced in this industry. And we know that there is a um, there are more and more people getting off gas. But the supply charges, your gas pipeline, your network charges, the, these are all staying the same. There's mm. just less people to share it around. Mm. Um, and the that's gas probably spiral a conversation. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Exactly. One of the problems around the country is actually getting tradies to to do work as it is. We just don't have enough, particularly electricians, but there are others as well. If we're going to electrify the whole country and fast, they're going to be involved in decommissioning and deinstalling gas appliances, um, installing the new electric appliances, upgrading electrical systems. How are we going to make sure that we we get have all the tradies to do all of that work? I think that um, I mean the 2010 boom of solar proved that this industry can rally, uh, and we're we're very quick to move on a dime to be able to upskill workers, bring them on board and um, um, roll out a workforce quickly. I, I think one of the biggest issues about um, our workforce enablement at the moment is the majority of trades work in a one man, one van situation. And how do you consolidate the rollout? How do you ensure that all of them are taken on that journey? Mm. Um, and are being upskilled in all areas. There's a lot of electricians now that are going through it. Their entire apprentices, they're getting to fourth year electrical uh, on their, their electrician's license, they're getting to fourth years. And they've spent the last four years just doing LEDs. They, they're not doing the full scope of works. They're not mm. learning about all the different technologies that previous trades used to work for. So uh, I think that we, one, we have a very decent workforce as it is. It's just about taking everybody on that journey and making sure that everybody has access to the technology and the knowledge and the subsidies that are available um, and have a business model that allows them to grow. They don't have to hang up their boots and go and work for somebody else on a payroll scenario, which the majority of trades that I talk to, that's that's the last thing they want to do. Mm. They want to work for themselves. That's why they spent the time and money in getting licensed in the first place. Um, so where there is a model that allows them to grow and, and retain their independence in, in growing their own business, but can still participate in these programs, that's um, that's the key to success. And also ensuring that we've got a lot of subsidies uh, thrown at the next generation coming through so that you don't continually lose good apprentices out to the mines. Uh, we need to keep mm. them here in the cities 
because that's that's one of our biggest issues. Once we get a really good team on board, it's oh, right. keeping them keeping them from being taken out by the the mines because they um there's so much money out in that sector and there's so much demand for this skill set. How do we do that then, Merrily? <laughs> that's <laughs> Well, that's a $64 million question. <laughs> and someone else can answer it. <laughs> someone else can answer Well, the way that we handle that is we make sure that we pay our guys well. Uh, when we build in the modelling for, uh, if we're going to tender, for example, or we're doing a bulk rollout of a particular technology, we make sure that we're paying our people right. How do you think that what you do, your one-stop shop, can be either scaled up or replicated in other areas of Australia? What would it take? Oh, look, I don't think it would, would take a genius to work it out. Uh, what we do with our business is uh, when we're moving into a new technology. So, for example, let's let's talk um, let's talk air conditioners. If we were to uh, expand our services through Victoria and we're already there offering solar batteries, EV chargers, and we're about to ramp up air conditioning in that space, the first thing we do is actually go to the manufacturer of the product that we're planning to use there because we've chosen our products first and say, who do you use to troubleshoot? Who do you use to, to fix up this product when it goes wrong? Uh, and they're the first people that we talk to to say, are you interested in joining our team and partnering with us? Um, and what we do is we don't ask them to come on board on salary to say, here, you've got to be a staff member. What we do is we say, we're going to partner with your business. You have to go through our training programs and our HSE requirements and maintain our service level standards for customer service, warranties, callbacks, etc., and effectively bring them under our banner in everything but their, um, I guess, their employment component. Um, so that means that they're doing everything to our standard. We're warranting and taking on all the risk of the work that's being done because we know that we've trained them to a certain level and that we're doing quality assurance audits on that work. Uh, but they're able to grow as a company as well. We're doing all the marketing and the front end and, and bringing in all that work uh, for them and they're able to have very full schedules in going out and doing the work that we're issuing out to them and they can bring on more and more staff um, without having to change their business model or expand into an area like uh, compliance and marketing that may not necessarily be their forte. Uh, so it's that partnership that has worked very well for us. Uh, we respect their position in the, running their own businesses and, and doing what they do best, and they respect ours and we do what we do best. We, we're able to access different subsidies to discount those products. We're able to have a technical team and an engineering team that are selecting the best products to go out to the market. Um, and we, we have a marketing team as well that are able to spread awareness of the offers available and bring that work in that they, we then pass on to our teams to to do it to a certain standard. So, um, yeah. So, Marilee, just a final question. How bright is the future when it comes to electrifying Australia? What, what do you see as the, the, the main challenges that we're going to face? I'm really excited about it, actually. I mean, I've been, I feel like I've been banging on this drum for over a decade <laughs> now. And uh, for the first time, you're hearing people genuinely talking about electrification and it's not a 
it's not a HSE injury. They're actually talking about um, taking measures in their own home and to have energy efficiency put on the radar for the federal budget. It feels like the air is different. It feels like there's a, there's a shifting of the tides here, uh, which is fantastic to see. The biggest issue that I see uh, facing people today on taking the steps with electrification has everything to do with finance uh, mm. and everything to do with accessing money to take those next steps. If you're talking um, solar batteries, heat pumps, air conditioners, lighting in your home, that's not even starting on, on inductions uh, cooktops. You're talking outside of subsidies, you're talking easily $30,000. Um, and not everybody has that available cash, especially in today's market. So the introduction of low interest loans for people to take those steps is fantastic. There's, I only wish that they committed more to it. Um, the That's doing the lifting on the finance part of things and then the state-based subsidy schemes by taking everybody on the journey, giving additional subsidies for vulnerable people that are on pension cards uh, and healthcare cards, so that there is, a, I guess, a bit of social equity there. Uh, and also ensuring that renters can have a say in assets, whether they have additional subsidies applied to renters, because ultimately, if they're the ones that are um, paying for an asset upgrade instead of the landlord, perhaps that gap should be closed by giving them additional subsidies to help with affordability at the end of the day. Um, so the, the subsidies and the financing will be the biggest hurdle, uh, but the future is bright. I think the conversation, as much as I keep seeing nuclear bandit about, yes. um, and again, I'm, I'm open to all kinds of fuels, but the fundamentals don't change. It's incredibly expensive compared to the renewables as our solution. Uh, and we have a unique environment here in Australia where um, we're, we're set and primed to to be, uh, without using Roscano's catchphrase here, to be a renewable super power and, and to export um, our renewable energy to the rest of the world and have a real impact here. Uh, now it feels like there's a real shift in the conversation. We're no longer debating about whether we should or shouldn't. It's about mm. which fuel we're going to go forward with. And, and how uh, we're going to do it. Exactly, exactly. Mm. And look, Saul Griffiths and his team have done a great job in um, putting it into the main stage to say, this is important. We've got the fuels, we've got the tools, we've, we've got everything here that can... Um, deliver this solution without it having to be yet another consultancy project where um, we delay even further mm. while umming and ahhing about what steps to take next. The, the industry is here, the workforce is here, the technology is here, um, and now we have low interest loans to help people afford it and take those steps. Uh, so it's, it's a very bright future, I think. Well, I think you've uh, you've nailed it, uh, Merrily. Not only in what you're offering, but uh, also how you're approaching it. Merrily Hunter, thank you very much for joining the Switched On podcast. Uh, thank you very much, Anne. And Merrily Hunter is the CEO and founder of Mac Trade Services. It'll be interesting to see whether other companies or even governments can build on some of the learnings that Mac Trade Services have made over the last decade to help Australia scale up its electrification journey. 
That's it for today's Switched On podcast. I hope you can join me next time when we'll be heading to Western Australia to hear how the entire town of Esperance has managed to disconnect from the gas network and its 400 residents and businesses have virtually all electrified. Till then, I'm Anne Delaney. Oh,